You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. It's a time of the season when love runs high in this time. Give it to me easy and let me try. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This time around, I'll be looking at The Nom number 38, in which the storyline that we've been following for the last few issues comes to a head, and that includes some of the best drama we've seen in the title for a while. The story will take place in March of 1969, and our song this time out is Time of the Season by The Zombies, a song that is often used in movies and television shows about the late 1960s, and a song that itself reached number three on the Billboard chart in March of 69 and was a hit in Canada as well. It had its use in The Simpsons, of course, being used in the episode where Homer decides to become a hippie and host an old-fashioned freakout to the tune of Uptown Girl. But our story predates the Billy Joel song by a good 15 years or so, and when we begin, it's in the outskirts of a small Vietnamese village, very near the Cambodian border, in March of 69. The title is Booby Trapped, and our creative team is Doug Murray, writer, Wayne Van Zant, penciler, Jeff Fisherwood, inker, Phil Felix, letters and colors, Don Daly, editor, and Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. The cover does not have a credit, and neither Mike's Amazing World nor the comic book database can provide one. The Grand Comics database said it says that it's Mark Teixeira, and Teixeira was working for Marvel at the time. It does kind of look like his work, so I'm going to go with that. The cover shows Jones stepping on a mine and sweating while a few people around him get shot, with two yellow boxes saying, if the sniper doesn't get him, the landmine will. The 23rd is checking out a village as part of some diplomatic agreement with Cambodia, making sure there are no incidents while Cambodia agrees to release some POWs, and Williams complains about this being the white man's army. He tosses a can into the woods and triggers a mine, which prompts the convoy to hold up. Everyone stays still except for Jones, who had been knocked aside by the mine blast and whom takes a step and then hears a click. He is standing on a mine. Martini sees what has happened and asks Jones how many clicks he's heard. Jones says one, which means that he's still okay. He does not want to hear that second click and that he can't move. Martini then tells Williams that he's going to have to uncover the mine. Williams complains that it's not his job to do that. Martini tells him to slip his K-bar around Jones's boot and clear off the edges of the mine. 
Jones is not supposed to move at all, and we see the nervous soldier through the sight of a sniper's rifle. Williams, who doesn't like what's going on, digs around the mine just as Frank, who is manning the tank, gets shot in the chest by the sniper. It's obvious to Martini that Jones is bait in this scenario, and they point out that if they go by the book, they need to bug out. Ice says no way, he's not losing any more people. The sniper takes out one more person, and the guys decide to stand their ground and start firing at the tree line, hoping to hit the sniper. The sniper stops shooting, and they think they have him. Martini yells to Williams that now that he has the mine uncovered, he needs to find some sort of counterweight so that he can trick the mine into thinking that Jones's foot is still on it so they can get away. Williams looks for some big rocks as we see the sniper's sights again, and the sniper shoots a huge fallen tree trunk right near him. Williams says he's had enough and bugs out, and the guys unleash some smoke to give him cover. They sarcastically congratulate Williams on a nice job, and Williams tells him that it's not his job, he's not no bomb boy, it's Martini's gig, and basically accuses Martini of being a racist because he hasn't done anything. Meanwhile, Jones yells for someone to help him. Martini heads over there with Ice calling him in for cover. There's some artillery file, and Daniels, Biggs, and Cruz go with Ice to find the sniper. Williams says he's not going, and they're all, nobody asked you, did they? All we asked you to do was help your buddy, and even that was too much for you, wasn't it? Martini reaches Jones and realizes that it's one of the United States' mines, and it's possible that Charlie may have moved it. He asks how much weight Jones has on it, and Jones says he doesn't know and he feels like he's going numb. Martini then tells him to hang tight because he's got to find something. At the edge of the tree line, Ice and Biggs look for the sniper, while back in the minefield, Martini tries something that worked in Korea, wedging the edge of a branch between the tree trunk and the mine. The sniper fires again, and Martini hopes that Iceman finds him. Ice notices where the shot came from, while Martini wedges the stick in and sweats. He tells Jones to take off his weight easy. Jones does, and we see that the sniper has him right in his sights. But it's just then, when Ice, sneaking by, steps on a twig, startling the sniper and revealing his location. Ice turns around and is about to fire when the sniper drops dead, having been shot by Biggs. Back down the road, Martini and Jones make their way back to safety, and the twig snaps. They dive out of the way and are both safe and alive. Jones thanks Martini and Williams rant about what could have been, and all for the sake of some pale-faced pilots and how Whitey almost did him for sure. Moments later, the engineers show up to clear the road, and Biggs orders them to stand down. Hours later, back at base camp, Williams is holding court, yelling about how they risk their necks for Whitey, and how all the officers are white, and how they're getting killed for white people, and... He says that it's time for them to march to the orderly room and tell them who's going to call the shots from now on. At the orderly room, Biggs says that as annoying as Williams is, he can't do anything about it because he hasn't broken any regulations. Ice says that he's not going to let things just happen, and it's then when Williams and his friends show up. Williams approaches and says that he and the brothers don't like the way they've been running things and it's time they got things their way. Biggs says that Williams won't do anything, and Williams accuses him of pulling rank. Just then, Pigs... Pig, whose eyes are bandaged over, says that Williams will do nothing. Williams is surprised to see him, and Pig says, That's right, Pig. You're just a no-good bag of wind, man. You're a trouble with a capital T, and you ain't good enough to carry those other blood's boots. I've been hearing you sound off since you got here. It's always whitey this and whitey that, but when the chips are down, where's Williams? A black man's life at stake, and where's Williams? This ain't a white man's war or a black man's war. It's our war. We're all in this together. It's garbage like you that makes it harder on all of us. 
Williams then jumps in and says, hey, I don't have to take this from, and Pig yells, you'll take it, Williams. You'll take it from me, or else you can try to shut me up. I'm blind now. That should make us just about even. Williams looks at uh, Bacon and Jefferson. He's like, where are you going? And then turns back to to Pig and says, all right, Pig, you Uncle Tom, you win this time, but someday. Ice says, this ain't over, Williams. And Williams says, you got that right, Ice. As Bacon, Jefferson, and Williams leave, Martini, who is holding a rifle, probably ready to shoot Williams, says, Afternoon, gents. Nice day for a walk, eh? Big says that it's good to see Pig, and Pig says he came to say goodbye. His flight is leaving tomorrow, and he's hatting out this afternoon. They say goodbye, and he says he hopes to see them sometime. Biggs and Ice say goodbye and then go to the club. Biggs is buying, say that between Pig leaving now and Ice leaving later, the place just isn't going to be the same. Meanwhile, Williams sees Jones and says, Jones, wait up. You see what happened? Those white dudes, and Jones turns to him and says, Get your hands off me. Williams says, Hey, bro, what's the matter? Jones says, Don't bro me. I'm not your bro. Brothers don't leave brothers to die alone in a minefield. But Jones, give it a rest, William. Just give it a rest. And then there's this far away long shot of, of William just kind of standing alone on the, and, uh, on the road saying, But... I'm glad that somebody had the presence of mind to consider whacking Williams. Um... And nobody did, though. Uh, and I'm glad that nobody actually did. Because the embarrassment he suffers at the hand of Pig is enough comeuppance. Especially since Jones, who's obviously a kid who's very influenced by what Williams has to say, finally sees through his crap. Back when I interviewed Wayne Van Zandt, he mentioned that this was one of the stories that came from the experiences of a friend of his. And I like how he and Doug Murray took this story and turned it into serious high drama. This is the second issue in a row where we had a moment be the focus of an issue. Last time it was an ambush, and this time it's Jones stepping on a landmine. This had to be five, ten minutes, and it's so tense. Van Zandt gives Jones some seriously scared and worried facial expressions while he also sweats like crazy. Murray provides enough conflict with both the sniper firing on the squad and Williams being a punk the entire time. In fact, this is a great way to put an end to the Williams storyline. His insistence on being uh, defiant clouds any actual sense of reality that he may have because he cannot see that he doesn't help his friend and can also cannot see that there was one guy, Pig, who was trying to make something of himself. Of course, Williams calls him an Uncle Tom, so I guess, well, there's no winning with him. Overall, it's another strong issue, and it shows how well Murray has developed all these characters in the post-Ed Marks era of the book. I'll be curious to see where he goes and what he does with it after Ice leaves in issue number 41. I'll be back in a moment. I'll have historical context, letters, and ads. Imagine the world you have known all your life suddenly begins to change. The changes are almost imperceptible at first, but soon everything comes crashing around you. Past and present contradict each other. History is no longer immutable. Inconsistencies begin to pop up. New origins rendered stories only a few years old, null and void. Those long gone are no longer dead. Worst of all, your friends and loved ones are vanishing or changing. The very fabric of reality surrounding the DC Universe is unraveling. In Smallville, 
Jor-El and Lara have returned to take Superman back to an unexploded Krypton. In Metropolis, Superman is faced with a multitude of Batmen. The time stream, made fragile by countless twists and myriad travelers, is now spinning out of control. Time is running out. Quickly. Only the greatest heroes of every era and reality can stop this crisis in time. And stop it they must, or the DC Universe will cease to exist. Perhaps never to have existed at all. The heroes and villains of the DC Universe are facing their Zero Hour. In 1994, DC published Zero Hour, Crisis in Time, a five-issue miniseries designed to fix some of the continuity issues that had cropped up since the conclusion of the Crisis on Infinite Earths. This was a huge deal, and because of that, and because Superman played such a large part in that story, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, hosted by Jeffrey Taylor and Michael Bailey, will be covering the Superman issues, as well as Zero Hour itself. We will also be looking at all of the official crossovers to the series, in addition to devoting several episodes to the follow-up event, Zero Month, where Superman meets a brand new enemy. Conduit. Zero Hour. Zero Month. Only at From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. From Crisis to Crisis can be found at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com and is part of the Superman Podcast Network, which is located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Also be sure to check out the Fortress of Bailey 2, which is located at www.fortressofbailey2.com. There you will find new episodes of From Crisis to Crisis, as well as all kinds of fun bits of business connected to Zero Hour and Zero Month. All right, here's what happened to the Vietnam War in March of 1969. On March 4th, President Nixon vows to resume the bombing of North Vietnam in response to recent action and attacks in the South. March 15th sees the United States offensive in the DMZ for the first time since 1968. On March 18th, Nixon announces Operation Menu, which is the secret bombing of Cambodia by B-52s. The coordinated bombing of Cambodia and later Laos lasted for a year before being expanded and finally ended in 1973 after it was finally revealed to Congress in 1972. And it is sometime in March when letters from Ronald Ridenour results in Congress opening their investigation into the My Lai Massacre. No letters this time around. Uh, there was no letter column in the issue, but we do have some ads. Uh, the Nintendo Hotline um, or the Nintendo Sears catalog number you can call and order the Nintendo games that you want by calling this 800 number or you can order the Nintendo Action Set for $99.99 from Sears. Um the games are ranging anywhere from Super Team games and WrestleMania at $44 and $42 to stuff like Double Dribble and Contra and Qbert in the, in the low 30s. So 
Video games are always pretty expensive, kids. Radical Action. Get set for Radical Action. Mega Man 2 and Strider. Mega Man 2 is a cool game. I remember that. I think I talked about that in a previous episode about how I, I love the ending of that, and I love the uh, I love how that was one you could beat. <laughs> um, we have Kid Remote in the Power to Move, and I think we've already looked at looked at that one. Some of these are repeating ads here. The Nintendo one eight hundred number from Sears ad repeats on the inside for some reason. That must be a printing error. Experience Bionic Power with Bionic Commando from Capcom. Mr. Bubbles Tub Tales. And uh and and we have uh you know mom with the with uh getting the kids into the bath, you can get a Mr. Bubble t shirt and a sweatshirt and 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 mom's looking all Julie Bowen and in modern family hot. So uh that that's a pretty good one. I think we looked at a lot of these are, are repeats from previous issues, so I'm not there's not a lot to do. Star Trek V The Final Frontier Limited Edition Collectible Figures. I don't know how collectible these figures were considering how horrible that movie is. I wanna say that movie is so horrible that it's not even considered in continuity, or at least in the old version of the continuity. So, you know, that's that's pretty bad, considering how, you know, there's some pretty mediocre Trek out there here and there. Stan Soapbox is back talking about going to um, various comic conventions and really like run- and how he likes running into people. Uh... Carl Potts got married. Um, there was something about the Mighty Marvel T-shirt swapathon, and there is a profile on Margaret Clark. We have the science fiction book club, Beyond Time, Beyond Dreams, Beyond Reality, which I think is kind of like the same as like you know Columbia House and those sorts of clubs. But here you could just get books, and and they they offer uh, various. Various things. Be a video warrior. WCW World Championship Wrestling showing uh, Hawk and Animal from the Road Warriors, uh, featuring the Road Warriors and other NWA wrestling stars. I don't remember ever actually. I may have played this game. This was I had a Nintendo, but I used to remember my friends and I used to play. We used to play the WrestleMania game. We also used to play the original pro wrestling game because it was a. That, believe it or not, is a really, really good, good game. Ooh, the subscription at this time around, Uncanny Xmas, in the Xmas, being in the X-Men font, logo, Savings. And it shows Dazzler, Havoc, Psylocke in her pre, pre-Asian, pre her original British incarnation, Storm, Wolverine, Rogue, and Colossus all posing for you wearing Santa hats and saying that uh, you can first fight titles full price and each additional title is 50% off. We have the Westfield Company art, um, ad with Wolverine by Art Adams. And on the back, introducing a winning combination for breakfast, the Nintendo Cereal System. With Mario jumping out of saying, this tastes super... And Link saying, we rescued breakfast. Nintendo is for breakfast now. Nintendo is two cereals in one. Wow, Super Mario Brothers and Zelda, too. Mix them, match them, crunch them. You can 
just can't lose. Fruit-flavored Mario's, mushrooms and Goombas, berry-flavored Link's, hearts and shields, Nintendo's breakfast news, Nintendo's cereal system, if you can't beat them, eat them. I never ate this. I want to say that my friend Harris actually did. Um, and if there's anybody else out there who who had Nintendo cereal and actually ate Nintendo cereal and and can speak to it and speak to its taste, just write in and tell me because I'm actually kind of curious as to like some of these cereals where they're basically like repackaged. Cat and Crunch or Lucky Charms or Fruity Pebbles or something. Um, you know, I I, nev- I was never sure what <laughs> whether or not they were good because my parents would only let, eat, let us eat like regular Cheerios and Rice Krispies when we were a kid. My sister ate this really, really horrible cereal called Pro-Grain. It looked like dog food. Anyway, it's a short one this time around. Uh, my apologies. There's no letter column and the, the issue synopsis um, really wasn't uh, you know the issue synopsis is good, but long. But the the I didn't really have much to say about it uh, beyond the fact that this issue is really really good. So I'll be back in another two weeks with the next issue of the Nom. Until then, thanks for listening and take care. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics, the Nom. The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the Demanzacore of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom.